I've always just enjoyed watching football. I, I mean, I think the older I get, the more I, like, I actually enjoy watching when I don't have a rooting interest. Like if, I, if a team I'm playing, as I'm watching one of my teams play, I get too nervous, I pace, I don't, really en- I don't really enjoy it when my teams play. I just get too nervous about it. But when I'm just watching two generic football teams play, I just, I just like watching football. You know, football just, it's one of those, particularly now we're getting in the fall and we're getting, you know, we're kind of getting the cool on the air on Friday night. And it just, it just feels like football weather on Saturday. You can go outside, listen to your team play. And now that we've had some rain, put a little, little bonfire or something. Just, it just enjoy that. I've always just enjoyed that football watching experience. Uh, I love the terrible, bad for you food you can get at the football game, the hamburgers and hot dogs that are probably made up of pig lips that are just so tasty. You know, just love it. I love to eat them. And just, I, just, I just love, I love the entire experience, Tim. It's just even the pig lip hot dogs. I even like that part. Not going to laugh at that one. I tried. I got some more coming though. <laughs> so I just, but growing up in South Mississippi, you know, watch, I've always loved high school football a lot. You know, big weekend for you know for high school football in the area. A lot of our most of our teams won. Richland didn't, but Madison Central and Germantown and MRA and everyone. Hey, you know, we had lots of good victories this week. And uh, growing up in South Mississippi, in that southwest corner of the world. I always like watching teams play. And one of my favorite teams to watch play football in South Mississippi was South Pike. And I don't know if any of y'all, any school you ever went to or any of your kids or grandkids ever had the account to play South Pike back in the day. Let me tell you, they were the real deal. I mean, they were phenomenal. South Pike plays some of the best football in South Mississippi. And they, they didn't always win state. I mean, they usually would run into McGee or Mendenhall or somebody like that in South State playoffs. But man, in, in that part of the world, that Macomb, Brookhaven area, man, South Pike, they were good. And, and here's the thing, is they knew they were good. And they knew that you knew they were good. And so what happened is this, is when you played them, they had you down 7 nothing before the game started. Because they knew they were going to win. And the opponents hoped they would win. And that's the difference in sports, really the difference in everything is the man or woman that expects to win will always overcome the individual that just kind of hopes they can win but doesn't expect to. Man, y'all, confidence is so important. How we see ourselves is so important. When you wake up in the morning, and you're getting dressed and you're shaving or you're putting on your makeup and you're there in the mirror and you look across the mirror and you stare back at yourself. What do you see? What do you see when you look in the mirror? What face stares back at you when you look in the mirror? Do you see 
Is your identity, do you see yourself as your job or as your possessions or as your house or your home or your, your children? How, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself by the victories that you've achieved or do you see yourself by the defeats that we've suffered? Sometimes we find our identity in the stuff of life that is fleeting, the stuff of life that can be taken. Sometimes we, find we put too much of our identity in our jobs, in our hobbies, in our stuff, things that could be taken in the blink of an eye. Sometimes that's the mistake we make. But sometimes the other mistake we make is just as dangerous. Sometimes we simply only see ourselves as a collection of our mistakes. We look in the mirror and we play back all the failures that have happened, all the defeats that have happened, all the ways we have failed. Sometimes in our life, if we're not careful, we will see ourselves more as a collection of our defeats than we'll see ourselves as God intend for us to see us. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? You know, we, we heard the Joshua text this morning, talked about warfare and destruction. And as I, as I heard that text, it got my mind thinking to Paris and the dark week that we've had this past week, haven't we all? Man, the sad thing about darkness is darkness blinds you. That's the thing about darkness, y'all. Is darkness fools you into believing things that aren't real. How many of us, when we were kids, had real monsters we were sure that under our bed really weren't? The darkness had fooled us. So, so I began to think about Paris and darkness. You know, you look at these situations, and, and, and here's the issue is I don't have an answer. I like answers. I like asking questions I can answer. Those are the best kind of questions, the ones I already know the answer to. I like those. The hard ones are the questions you answer when you don't know, and you don't really know that you'll ever get an answer. So what do we do? What do we do when we see a situation like that in Paris this past week where, where men full of hate— mindlessly and pointlessly murder others. What do we do when, when there's such hate in the world where destruction and anarchy and, and pain, it's almost like people want to inflict their hurt upon you. What do we do? Where is God? Where is God in that darkness? Where is God in that fear? Where is God in those moments of pain? And here's the thing, y'all. I have an answer but the answer really isn't always that satisfying. But that answer is hopeful. It, it all kind of starts. You know, you always got to rewind and play back to see where things start. It's kind of like if you ever had a fight with your spouse and you, you ask yourself, why are we fighting about this? This is silly. Why are we fighting about this? You rewind the tape and realize you're probably fighting about something that happened last week. That's showing itself in that moment. We live in a fallen world. And when Adam and Eve fell, 
in the beginning, what happened was this. They took all of creation with them. It says in Romans 8, that creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but that creation was subjected to futility by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes for its redemption. You're thinking, wait, what's that mean? This is what that means. When Adam and Eve fell, when they went tumbling down like the walls, they took all of creation with them. Terrorism is not in God's perfect will. Pain and death and loss is not in God's perfect will. Sickness is not in God's perfect will. Cancer is not in God's perfect will. So see, see, the effect of the fall affected everything from the human heart to creation to everything. That's why the Bible is so adamant that there will come a day when there will be no more sickness, pain, and death. There will be a day when things will be restored. There will be a day when God will set it right like it should have been, like he intended it to be, like it was before sin entered the equation. When sin entered, it corrupted everything from the human heart to creation to everything. We see it in Isaiah where it says, in eternity, the lion will lay with the lamb and the child will stick his hand in the snake hole and not be bitten. Nowadays, if the lion lays with the lamb, somebody's getting free euros. I mean, that's just not the way it works in life. When the child sticks his hand in the snake hole, now the child gets bit. But there will come a day, y'all, There will come a day when that will be no more, when God will set all things right. When Adam and Eve fell, they took all the creation with them. That's why there is all of this stuff that we, that just is awful. So then... How did God choose to fix this? What was God's answer to all of this human suffering, this human pain, this corruption? God, being God, could have picked a thousand different ways to have fixed it. God could have snapped his fingers and fixed it. Because he's God. He can do what he wants to. How did God choose to fix it? What God chose to do was this. He entered in to our human suffering and pain. Through Jesus Christ, God entered into our brokenness and our pain and our loss. And in Jesus Christ, God was abandoned. And in Jesus Christ, God was mocked. And in Jesus Christ, God was beaten and God was spit upon and God was betrayed and God was left alone to die upon a cross. In Jesus Christ, God did not turn away from our human suffering, but God entered into our human suffering. God does not turn a blind eye to the suffering of his children, but God is there in the midst of the suffering of his children. And we never walk alone. No matter how high the mountain, no matter how deep the valley, God has promised over and over and over again to walk with us through it. And then through the grave, He overcomes it. In the grave, the back of Satan is broken. In the grave, in the empty grave, in the resurrection, goodness 
overcomes evil. Light triumphs over darkness. Goodness defeats evil. And I know sometimes, y'all, I know sometimes in this world we live, I know it's dark and I know it's hard, but we got to believe this, y'all, because we're the church. We're the body of Christ, and we cannot give into the darkness of this dark age. We cannot abandon our hope. We cannot abandon our faith. We cannot abandon our trust that we don't know what he's doing, but we know that he is not done. He is not done in this world. He is not done in this church. He is not done in our lives. And that's what darkness does. Darkness makes us afraid. Darkness makes us see ghosts that aren't there. So take it to the light. Trust in the light, even when you can't see. Yes, it was a dark week, but God is still God. And good will still win. And light will still triumph over darkness. The great line of that movie, Shawshank Redemption, when Andy and Red are outside talking, talking about hope. And Andy looks to Red and says, Red, hope is a good thing. And no good thing ever dies. The thing the devil wants to do more than anything else sometimes is take away our hope. Don't let him do that. We are Christians. We are are the church. We are people of light and hope. How do you see yourself? Who are you? See, we see in this Hebrews passage, we see this. We see that, uh, that the Bible says that he has offered the, made the sacrifice for us, this permanent sacrifice where no more are sacrifices made. But now, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And we can enter into God's throne room of grace. How do you see yourself? You are more than a collection of your past mistakes. In your mind, you may have a continuous loop playing of every mistake that you've ever made. Well, God's taking the scissors and cut that tape up because he doesn't see you in the light of your mistakes. He sees you in the light of his child. Jesus Christ has paid it all for you and you are forgiven through the work and the blood and the cross and the empty grave through the work of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And hear me, hear me, church, this is big right here. You need, to, you need to get this point. This is one of those things you need to get. If you have to do one thing, if you've got to do one thing to make God love you, to make God forgive you, then what you're saying is that Jesus Christ didn't do enough. If you've got to do one thing to make God forgive you, then what you're saying is that Jesus, that the work on the cross and the work in the grave was not enough. It's not Jesus' efforts plus your efforts equal forgiveness. It's Jesus equals forgiveness. 
Our response is not to earn it. Our response is to claim it. You don't have to make God forgive you. If you've got to make God do something, then you're saying intellectually that Jesus did not do enough. And we know that that is not the case. We know that through the cross, as as the writer of Hebrews says here, and through the empty grave, that Jesus Christ has given us access to God's throne room. Do you live with the confidence of being God's child? Do you live with the confidence of being God's forgiven child? Do you see yourself not as the world and not as the culture, not as the devil wants you to see yourself, but do you see yourself as God sees you as his forgiven child? In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Do you see yourself in that light? Do you see yourself in that confidence? See, we've gotten the whole confidence, humility thing messed up. C.S. Lewis nails it. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's what it means to be humble. To not see yourself as worthless. To not beat yourself up. To not say you're terrible. To not do all this. That's not humility. Because by the way, when you're putting yourself down, who's the center of attention? You. You're the center. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is properly seeing yourself as a forgiven child of God who wants the attention to go to their Savior. You have the confidence to boldly enter God's presence. The world doesn't want you to know that. The devil doesn't want you to know that. Your own subconscious doesn't want you to know that. But it's true. You are his. So this morning, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in light of the work of the cross and the resurrection? Or do you see yourself through the eyes of your failures, through the eyes of your stuff, through whatever? Y'all, there's only one way to properly see who we are. There's only one way to properly understand who we are. There's only one way to have the proper confidence God wants us to have. And that's to see ourselves in light of the work of the cross. May we see ourselves for who we truly are. Let us pray.